Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Is everybody excited to be here this morning? Chris, are you excited? All right. I'm just going to literally call people out by name so they know that I'm... Kim, are you here? All right, good, good, good. We are in part four of a series that Pastor Brandon called Lightweight. Or is it light? I don't know if he was like calling us lightweights. I'm not entirely sure what he means by that. I feel, I feel like a heavyweight this morning, you know, especially when I see myself in certain angles on the camera. I go, I remind myself that keto is a four letter word, but it's one I need to embrace. <laughs> Amen or oh me. But we're talking about patience in all of its iterations. We're talking about the fact that patience kind of roots in to every little part of our lives, right? We talk about patience in a process. We talk about the process of patience. And really, we could talk for weeks and weeks and weeks about patience. And we really want to focus this morning on what it means to have patience with people. How many of you guys know people that you need to be patient with? Like all people, right? I actually was going to title this message, Patience with Those People, because everybody has those people, whoever those people are. Fill in the blank for who those people are for you. Those people might be you. I don't know. I'm, I have a, pro- have a problem sometimes with patience with me, but there's always a somebody that we've got to have patience with, and really what we're talking about this morning is that we're, you know, we have to have patience in our relationships with people, but before we can decide that we have to have patience in our relationships with people, we have to decide that it's worthwhile to have relationships with people. Amen? Amen. We're starting with uh, this verse that we've chewed on for several weeks now. This will be week four now. It's James 1, 4. We say this. If you're new here, we'll take one kind of theme verse, right? And this is our theme verse for the series, and it's James 1, 4, and it says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Two things I want to point out. God wants patience to have its perfect work in you. Why? Again, and I hope I'm not harping on this too hard, but I really want you to hear this. Not so that you will measure up to some arbitrary standard. Not so that you will suddenly be good enough and lovely enough that God will notice and take care and love you. That's not the point of this thing. Religion will lie to you and tell you that you've got to do and do and do and do so that God will pay attention and like you and bless you. No, that's not what this says. Let it have its perfect work so you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants you to have everything you need to have joy and peace in your life. And part of that is patience because if you don't have patience, it will rob you of the moment. Right? How many moments have been stolen from us in our lifetimes because we got bogged down in something that was not the point? The only things I really regret in my life is the time that I wasted when I had kids who were small and I was too busy doing the stuff I had to do to stop and take a moment and spend time with them. Because that's the only thing you can't go back and fix and get back. Amen? The times when I was impatient, the times when I was short-sighted, the times when I might have snapped and said harsh words that once they're out, you can't put them back. That's the only real regret I have in life, those times when I did not act in love. But the bottom line is, I'm going to make the case, I hope this morning, that relationships are important. It's very almost cliche to say now. We've said it so much that we're, we're not interested in, in religion. We're interested in relationship. But so often we don't really know what that relationship means, right? I know it gets bogged down sometimes. But we're going to talk about relationships, and then we're going to talk about how patience comes into play in those. Amen? Y'all with me so far? 
All right, everybody's tracking, good. So I'll make a couple points. The first point is this, that we were created to be relational. Whether you are an outgoing person or you're introverted or whatever, the degree to which you participate in this isn't the point, okay? So if you're a person who, who kind of tends to be inwardly focused a little bit, I'm not, I'm not saying you've got to be like the guy who's super outgoing, but relationships even for those folks are important. We cannot cut ourselves off from those. And here's the thing. If we start all the way in the beginning with Genesis 1.27, I want you to hear this verse. This is a, a familiar verse, right? It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That doesn't necessarily scream like it's connected to my first point. But check this out. In the Hebrew... The word for God in that, in that verse right there is the word Elohim. The word Elohim is not a singular word. It's not the word God. It's the word God's. Can you see that even in the very beginning of time, God was expressed as more than one? And so we have this thing within Christianity which makes us very unique, right? We have this concept known as the Trinity, which is mysterious and hard to explain, and, and, and I, won't, I won't try real hard this morning to get into the nuts and bolts of how it works, because quite frankly, every analogy we've ever come up with, every metaphor, everything we've ever tried to kind of put this in a box and say, well, no, this is what the Trinity is, at some point it breaks out of the box and says, eh, close but not quite. Does that make sense to everybody? Have you ever tried to sit down and explain to somebody, you know, well, God is three, but he's one, and they go... Come on. Oh, you know, it's like a three-leaf clover. It's like, no, not quite. It's like a hard-boiled egg. It's like, a, it's like water and gas. There's analogies and things that get us sort of close to understanding a little bit. Does that make sense? But it's never going to firmly, concretely say, this is what the Trinity is. Why? Because it's God, and if God could be explained that simply, then he's probably not that interesting. Yeah. Right? I dated a woman for three years. I've been married to her for almost 28 years. I don't understand her at all. <laughs> She's a mystery, man. Every time I think I got it figured out, <laughs> something changes. Lord have mercy. And, if, and the second I think I've got it figured out, then I do something dumb and I realize I don't have a clue. So the smartest thing I can say is, I don't know. Or yes, dear. One of the two. It works out pretty well. But we were created to be relational. God is relational at his core, at the very essence of who God is. I want you guys to hear something. God did not create you because he was lonely. Amen? Amen. God did not create you because he's needy. God did not create you so you would be a sycophantic, knee-bowing person who would fall all over him and throw compliments at him because he's so narcissistic. If that's the version of God you think you worship, then it's a very small, petty God. Yeah. It's not the God who created the universe. The God who created the universe is love itself. He is creativity itself. He is the very nature of everything that exists, and he can do nothing but create because that's what love does. Amen? Love creates. If you are a creative person, can you stop being creative? I know people who are artists like my daughter here, she couldn't stop creating if she tried. It's in her DNA who she is. Amen? This is the God we serve, the God who is so creative that out of his love, he created us. 
Why? Because that's just, how, that's just what he does. And I think it's awesome. I think it's beautiful. I've been reading this book and rereading this book. It's called The Divine Dance by a guy named Richard Rohr. And he talks about the Trinity. And really what he talks about is the fact that in, in, in a lot of places, we've almost put this doctrine on the shelf. It's like we nod to it. We kind of go, yeah, 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 we believe in the Trinity. And then we don't really talk about it ever. And it's really like almost you could pull that doctrine out of most churches and it would really change very much. That's crazy. It is foundational to who we are. It is the only thing that really separates us from other world religions. This whole concept of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the word that the Greeks used to describe this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the word perichoresis. It's the word where we get choreographies, where we get dance. And so the picture is painted. I want you guys to see this. The picture is painted of a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is a dance, that is a love flow between one and the other. It is the most awesome example of radical, co-suffering, others-focused love that we have. And, I, and actually, we see this replicated even in nature where we see protons and neutrons and electrons that circle around each other, right? And they produce this, this, this thing together. There's not a hierarchical thing here. It is... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfectly loving one another in this perfect circle. Amen. Richard Rohr says this in his book. He says that whatever's going on in God is a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three, a circle dance of love. And God is not just a dancer. God is the dance itself. I think that's awesome. That just kind of goes right to my heart and goes, yes. God's not just the dancer. He is the dance. He's not loving. He is love itself. Everything we ever know about love is found in God. Why? Because God is love. That's what the Bible tells us. He is love. That's so foundational. It's so mind-blowing to me that everything I understand about love is because God is love. The other quote he says in this book, and I could have just literally preached his book, but I will pull another one out. It says, if we take the depiction of God in the Trinity seriously... We have to say in the beginning was the relationship. And so why is relationship important? Because God is relationship. Because God is in and of himself relatedness. And so if we're to be like him, then we have to be relational as well. And we have an awesome example of what a, what a, a perfect relationship looks like in the way that the Trinity functions within itself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this flow, this circle dance of love. Amen. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And that's so cool. So even in the very beginning, God's in his creative mode, right? And he creates all this stuff, and he finishes it up with the, the piece de resistance, right? The, the best of the best, here is man. And then he one-ups him and makes woman. But that's awesome. So he was almost finished, right? Creation was very near perfect. And then he was like, yeah, but... No, 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 not good for you to be alone. Why isn't it good to be alone? How many of you guys know that at the, at the root of so much of what we call mental illness and depression and things of that nature is loneliness at its core? It's people who have decided for one reason or another that it's just not worth the risk anymore to put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable to a relationship and have yourself punched in the gut. And at some point they decide, forget it. Nope. Not doing that anymore. And the more you get alone, the, man, the stranger things can get. Amen? It, it, it just, it's just true. Uh, we find this over and over, and, and scientists and psychologists will tell you that it's just it's a dangerous place to be. It's much, much better 
although it's much, much more painful sometimes to risk the relationship. Amen? It just is. It's one of those things that, that man, I tell you what, if you, if you could avoid the pain, it'd be nice, but you really, you kind of take, take them both together. The relationship sometimes produces vulnerability in us, but what Richard Rohr says, the last quote of, of his I have from this book is, is that love must flow both toward us and out from us, or we do not experience or enjoy, or enjoy its full effects. And so if you guys have ever seen, um, I didn't mention this in the first service, so y'all getting extra stuff. This is pretty cool, right? You show up late to church and you get extra stuff. No. If you've ever been, <laughs> you ever seen pictures of the Dead Sea? You guys know what the Dead Sea is, right? It's like super, super salty. It's all this, you know, the reason that hardly anything grows in the Dead Sea is because of how much salt is in the water. And, and the reason there's so much salt in the water is because there's an inlet into the Dead Sea and there is no outlet. And so what happens is the water flows in and then it becomes stagnant and it sits there and then it's, you know, the sun evaporates lots of the water out and over time it just becomes super, super salty. Does that make sense everybody? There's no outlet Man, if we're not careful, we become these people where things flow into us, and they flow into us, and then we just refuse to let them go out. Why? Well, there's all kinds of reasons why. Man, I realize as I look out in this room, I don't know your stories, but I know that you're wounded. I know there's people right now who walk with a limp because of stuff that has happened to them, and, if you, and you would be totally justified and say, no more. I'm just not doing it, and I get it. But let me caution you that if you want to cut yourself off from relationships, you are running the risk of becoming that dead sea, of becoming super salty, becoming super toxic. And the next thing you know, you've pushed people away and you've become like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Amen. So what we have to do is we have got to become not just an inlet, but also an outlet. Let it come. Let it flow out. Amen. Amen. The second thing I want to tell you guys is this, is that patience is a fruit of the Spirit, not the result of our hard work. Nothing, huh? I'm just kidding. Patience is a fruit. Everybody say fruit. All right, just checking to make sure people are awake. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, not the result of our hard work. Why is this important? Because, again, I go back to, I know I'm beating up on religion this morning, but guess what? It needs to be beat up a little bit. Amen? Religion will tell you, try harder, be better, do more. This is not the way we produce fruit. How many people have gardens or orchards or something like that? Do you ever walk out to your grass or something that's not growing and yell at it for not being better? You go, how dare you not produce lemons, lemon tree? You're a terrible lemon tree. No, what do we do? We look at the environment the tree is in. We wonder what we might have, well, well, is it getting enough water? Is there enough sun? Is there enough nutrients in the soil? Is there a better place? There's, there's a reason that certain things grow better in different places, right? Why? Because the environment's correct. The climate is right, right? We don't, we don't try to grow coffee in Texas. Why? Because it just doesn't work there. So if there is something in your life that is lacking, this fruit of patience, maybe it's not us. Maybe it's the environment we're in. Maybe rather than beat ourselves up over not being better, Maybe what we need to do is wonder, how do we get the right food, the right sunlight, the right nutrients, the right moisture, the right all the things that we need to make that fruit grow in us? Amen? It's, it's, Galatians 5.22 says like this, says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things, there is no law. I've told on myself a little bit this morning, and and I've mentioned that, you know, as a young father, um, there's probably a handful of you guys out here who were fathers in your 20s. um, I just wasn't a very patient guy. You know, I, I wasn't a bad person, but I was a busy person. Right? I had things to do. I was trying to juggle family and school and work and all this stuff. And then I had on top of it all, I had these children who were just so needy. Oh, man, like three whole meals a day they need. Did you know that? I mean, you can't like send them off with no breakfast. People frown on that. It's not good. And so they had all this stuff and then all these, all these, you know, these burdens that I felt like, you know, and there's these responsibilities and there's people depending on you and you just start to kind of do this thing and, and then, 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 the, then the kid spills grape juice on the carpet and you lose your stuff. It's carpet, man. It's carpet. I was a 22-year-old, hardworking, fairly impatient dad. I'm now a 46-year-old grandfather of two who, if those children burn my house down tomorrow, I'd applaud how good a job they did. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'd call my wife and go, did you see what he did? Like, he burned the whole thing down. There wasn't nothing. It was just ashes and cinders. That kid's got a future, man. You got a young budding arsonist. That's amazing. What's the difference? The difference is I don't care about the house. I don't. Not even, it's, it doesn't even come close to the radar when it does to that child's life, right? If he spills grape juice, I don't lose my cool. Why? What, the only thing that's changed between 22 and 46 is life and perspective and a big picture look out of the world and go, honestly, these little things just don't matter that much, doggone it. If I had it to do all over again, I would do things differently. I would, I would play more, you know? Amen. I would have. <laughs> I'd build Lego houses and have tea parties. It'd be different. So the difference is if we allow ourselves to get focused in on the minutia, if we allow ourselves to get focused in on the details and the little things, and we lose the, the big picture, man, we just, we'll, we'll, we'll become people we don't even recognize. Amen? I spent a lot of time in my little prayer closet trying to do the good religious thing of beating myself up. If I'd had a little cat of nine tails, I'd have whipped myself, you know? I'd just beat myself up. But be a better person. What a jerk. Be better. And then I'd go out and I'd try to be better. You know what happens when you go out and try to be better? You fail. And then you go and beat yourself up some more because you stink at this. And then you go and you fail. And you resolve to be better. How many of you guys understand what I'm talking about? Can I tell you the, can I tell you the trick? Whether you're 22 or you're 46 or you're 76 or whatever age you are, it doesn't matter. Here's the trick. Stop. Just stop it. There is only one who can produce in you the patience that you want. And the only one who can produce that in you is Christ. That's it. And here's what happens is when you take the focus off of that thing for a while and you stop obsessing over it for a little while and you you just go live your life, man. What you'll find is that the process takes hold and the process moves you along. And when you've surrendered to the process... Jesus is now in control. Amen? And it's not you trying to kind of push this thing down the road. And what you'll find is if you look up in a year or two and you're like, man, I'm just better at this. Huh. What did I do? You didn't do anything except surrender to the process. Right? You have got to understand that there is is a movement and that you're going to move at the pace that Christ wants to move you at. So that means you've got to be patient, not just with the people around you, but you've got to be patient with you. Give yourself a break. Amen? 
Even baby steps are, ba- are, are steps forward, right? All right, moving along. Patience must also be rooted in love. It's got to be rooted in love. If our motivation for patience is something other than love, then we're going to find some difficulties, I think. Amen? If our, if our motivation is simply because we want to be better people and we, be, we believe there's a standard somehow that we've got to live up to and we're just going to try harder and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, gosh darn it, I think we're going to find that we have some difficulties. But when our motivation for being patient with somebody is love, it's a little different. Amen? Look at, um, look at Genesis 29, 20. Um, there's a whole backstory of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, all this. It's a, it's a convoluted cra- You want some interesting reading. People who tell you the Bible is boring have not read the Bible. Man, this is a weird story. But the verse I'm pulling out is this one. It just says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So the, the backstory is not that important. It's interesting but it's not that important. The point is this, is that there was a seven-year process of working so that he could marry Rachel, and it didn't even feel like nothing. Why? Because of his love for her. So his love for her kept him motivated, and he was patient in that process. It, it's really cool. Um, how, many, how many of you guys know that time is kind of a relative thing, right? And at the same time, it's not. There you go. I'm out of here. Y'all see you later. No. What do I mean? Like, like time, doesn't, time doesn't literally slow down or speed up, right? We know that. Time is a constant thing. But are there times in your life when it seems like time has screeched to a halt? Have you ever sat at a red light like Pastor Brandon talked about last week and went, this is taking forever. And then you actually look at your clock and realize it's been like 45 seconds. Why am I losing my cool over like a minute and a half at a red light, Right? When my wife and I were, were first dating, we were, we were youngsters, and uh, her dad was in the Navy. He got sent to Hawaii. We were engaged. We were going to get married. I think we were about 18 or so, and uh, they moved to Pearl Harbor for his final duty station before he retired, and Kim went with them to go help them move and get set up, and she was gone a few months, and whew, man, it, feel, it feels like, it feels like a lifetime. It, <laughs> It field. That's great. I'm awesome at grammar. Um, it felt like a long time. It was really like an eternity, like, like days passed super slow. And, and we had this thing in, back in those days. It was called the mail. And we, and we wrote, she wrote letters of, you know, undying love and devotion. And of course, then bragging that she was at the beach while I was in the, in the rainy north coast. But there she was, you know, writing letters back and forth, and there was, but it just seemed like this, like this whole process just like slowed down, amen? It was a weird thing. But then there were times when we were together and things, and we would, you know, we're hanging out or whatever, and it, man, it was like, oh my gosh, it's been like five hours we've been hanging out, and it just, I feel like I just got here. You know what I'm saying? You guys have that experience? You know, when you're doing something that's enjoyable, when, you're, when your mind is focused on, on something like that, then time just seems to go, whew, Right? And when you're doing something that's kind of painful and difficult, then time just seems to kind of squish and slow down. When we were uh, dating again, I'll date myself with the dating thing again and say that we, we also had this thing called a telephone. Okay, not the thing you have in your pocket that's more powerful, by the way, than the computer that launched the Apollo space missions. Do you all know that? Those things are crazy powerful. But we had telephones, right? And you pick them up and you talk. And We had one phone in my house because we were 
you know, that's how we were. We had the one phone, and Kim and I would be on the phone at night. And we'd be talking, and we'd go, okay, I got to go. You hang up. No, you hang up. I don't want to hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> it was sick. It was just ugh, saccharine sweet. No, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, well, I'll just stay here for a minute. And the next thing he knows, <clears throat> my poor mother would wake up in the morning. She early riser, my mom, and she'd wake up at whatever, four or five in the morning, and she'd want to go make a phone call, and she'd pick up the phone where she hears, <clears throat> get off the phone. I'm like, whoa, I'm sorry, I fell asleep on the phone. Well, and the time just, just passed. Does that make sense to everybody? Time is this relative thing. When we are patient with somebody, when we are rooted in love, when we're, when we're, when we're considering them above ourselves, there is something that kind of begins to change in us. And it begins to help us be more patient. We get to be more long-suffering as the Bible. I think the Bible uses the word suffering an awful lot. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but patience and long-suffering. Who knew that we would need patience to have relationships with people? Who knew? I know. So patience must be rooted in love. Check out this verse. This is cool. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7, this, 4 through 7. Uh, the verses that are spoken at every wedding ever for all times, right? Even at like non-Christian, you go to like a pagan wedding, you're going to hear this verse. Why? Because it's true, first of all. They recognize true. So, but look at this. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Amen. We go clap for the. <laughs> you ever just want to like get applause from people? Just start clapping. Nope. Here's what's really cool about it. I've read this verse a ton. I've heard it all my life. I've read it, read it, read it, read it. What I didn't realize until a few days ago is, you know, that patience factors in that verse three separate times. Not the, not the exact word patience, but something that could be easily translated as patience rolls into that verse, those verses, three separate times. Obviously, it starts out with love is patient. But man, when you get to the end, verse 7, it bears all things. What is bearing if not patiently enduring? In fact, the word in the Greek means exactly that, to patiently endure. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and the, for the third time it says it endures all things. What is, what is endurance if not patience, right? What is endurance if that, in fact, the word again in the Greek is, I won't try to pronounce it. But it means to abide, to endure, to patiently suffer or tarry behind. So we have in this, in this one verse where we talk so much about love, we have three separate times that Paul is telling us that an element of that love is to be patient. That love is itself patient. That it bears all things. It endures all things. It stands. And sometimes the best thing we can do is simply dig our heels in and endure and stay. Amen? Sometimes it's just that simple. It's like, you know what? Mm. Nope. Endurance. But you know what? Can I tell you one other thing? If all we've done is gin up enough strength in our own self to cross our arms and grit our teeth and dig our heels in and say, mm, that's not really patience. An element to all of these things was this cheerfulness with the endurance. Amen? So if, I, you know, if I've just sort of done this whole number and crossed my arms and frowned, and, mm, I'll patiently endure. Aren't I patient? Look how patient I am. 
It's, it's not this. God, that's me being patient, right? That's not God. Let, it's not me letting patience have its perfect work in me. It's not God working in me to produce patience. It's me deciding, doggone it, I'll just be patient. I'll show you I can be patient. Lulu, watch how patient I can be. <sighs> Amen? Listen, I, I keep harping on this because it's true. God has to do this or it can't get done. We have got to be surrendered to the process. Let God have his way. Let patience have its perfect work in us. Because love bears all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good stuff. Uh, next thing. Patience must be grounded in hope. Hope. Man, I tell you what, what is hope except that thing that we, we, we don't quite see yet? It's not quite there yet. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says, For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, with patience, we eagerly wait for it. And through uh, Romans 5, 2 through 4 says this, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Hold up. You guys ever realize that Paul's sometimes a little bit nuts? The Apostle Paul tells us we should glory in our sufferings. I don't know about you. I like to avoid all of my sufferings if I can, right? I'm not really into looking for the sufferings, but Paul says we should glory in our sufferings, but he tells us why. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, which is patience, right? Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Can I tell you something right now? If we lose hope, we lose everything. I mean, if we stop thinking about how things could be, then we stop working towards those things, amen? It's nuts. If, if, if there's something in your life that you're believing God for, you know that you, that you kind of have to see it in your mind. You have to visualize it there because it's not really there yet, right? Maybe there's something you're hoping for in a relationship. Maybe you're hoping for a more intimate relationship with a loved one. Maybe you're hoping for a, a more patient relationship with a loved one. Whatever that thing is, you're hoping for it because you haven't seen it yet. But doggone it, you're not going to give up because it's, it's there, Hope is waiting on the other side of that thing you're waiting for. Whether there's something, maybe there's something in your health that you're believing God for, and it hasn't shown up yet, but we don't lose hope. Amen? We persevere towards that thing. Why? Because if we lose hope, and we lose everything. And so my, my admonition to you is that we root this patience of ours. We ground it in the hope of God to accomplish those things that he says he will accomplish in us. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but there's some, there's some things that we're believing for as a family. You know, there's some things that we're hoping for. And it, it can get a little overwhelming sometimes, the weight. But we have not given up hope. And as long as there is that vision of what could be, then we, then we move towards it with patience and endurance. Amen? Amen? All right, last thing. Patience must be pursued in prayer. Amen? Pursued in prayer. I am a guy who likes to write. I like, to, I like words. I like stuff like that. So if, if you know me at all, you know I like to read. I like to write. I really, really don't like cliches. 
You know, I try to avoid them when I write. I try to avoid them when I preach. I don't like, I just don't like them. And one of the things I really don't like is cliches in the church world because what happens so often is cliches are spoken and then over time they're repeated. And before you know it, you have these things that pop up in the church that all of a sudden people think are scripture. And what they are is simply somebody said something that got repeated to the point where it became true. And all of a sudden now we have this truth that cleanliness is next to godliness. That's in the first book of Hesitations, chapter 3, <laughs> verse 7. Y'all look that up when you're, right? Or we have something else like, God helps those who helps themselves. It's not biblical. God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? Well, then what do I need God for? Ooh, think about that for a second. That's a, that's a way homer you'll... Think about it. But think about this. We say these things and they pop up and they pop up. And one of those things that has popped up in this series, and Brandon mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and it just kind of went, exploded in my head. But we have said for years to people, and I, I'll start by saying we probably didn't mean it super seriously, right? Kind of tongue in cheek, we've said this, but you shouldn't pray for patience, Kevin. Don't do it. Why? Because then God's going to get you. Really? So wait a minute, everything was going great. And then I was like, you know what, Lord? I feel like I could just be a little more patient. And God went, <laughs> finally. Let's throw some junk your way. Because God's not going to just give you patience, right? He's going to make sure you have circumstances that pop up in your life that will show you how to be patient. He'll build patience in you. Um, no. Can I just say that? No. If that's the God you think you serve, then, then I think we need to shift our mind. We need to repent a little bit of this God we think we serve because he's not that petty. He's not that malicious. He's not that vindictive. He's not that small. Your God is big. Your God loves you. And he wants to produce patience in you because it's best for you, not so that he can go, <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to show you, man, you should not have said those things. Here's the kicker. Here's what's really cool. If you didn't pray for patience, that stuff was still going to go wrong in your life. Amen? Can I tell you that? You didn't alter your, your, your destiny by having the temerity to ask God to produce patience in you, and all of a sudden, he's just going like, to wreck your life. No, the, the crisis was probably coming already. And what you've done is simply ask God, make me aware of what everyone in my family and my circle of friends already knows about me. Because I promise you that your impatience isn't a secret to anybody but you. Your wife knows. Your husband knows. Your kids know. At some point you go, Yo, I, I'm kind of an impatient person. And they'll go, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah we've mentioned it. What I need is... For God to reveal in me that, that, that that's not good for me, that it hurts me, that it hurts the people around me. And all of a sudden, my perspective can shift a little bit, and I can go, well, well I don't want to be like that. I don't want to hurt the people around me. I love them. And so I would ask God in prayer, I would pursue in prayer that thing that I don't have that I know only he can produce in me. Why wouldn't I? Right? If, if, if really the best we can hope for is that we can just grit our teeth and try harder and be better, well, then, man, we are in for an exhausting ride. It's going to be 80 or 90 or 70 years or how many years it is if you just grinded it out, man, running down the clock. Just, oh, just, let, me not, just, just, just let me not do too much damage on the way. How many of you guys are football fans in the room? 
Football fans, if you're, you could, come on, you could, if you're not a football fan, you still might get the analogy. I really hate it when teams run down the clock. You know what I mean? I get it. If it's my team, I probably want them to take a knee at the end. They don't want to, you know what I mean? But there's like 45 seconds left on the clock, and all of a sudden, they just take a knee. It's over. I'm like, no, run the ball down their throats. Like, like spike the ball in their face. Score two more touchdowns if you can. Make them, make them, oh, sorry, that's not very Christ-like. Ain't no room for Jesus in football, y'all. It's all about, it's warfare, all right? It's all. I know it's not good sportsmanship. I get it. I understand. But, but you know what? In life, man, I, there's no room for that at all. I'm not running down the clock, y'all. I'm going to spike that football in the devil's face. I'm going to score one more time, two more times, three more times. I'm going to do every single thing I can. I'm not taking a knee in any of this stuff. What are we doing? We're taking ground. We're moving forward. We're pushing back the darkness. There's no room. There's no quarter given. We just simply take it. And what I, what I, what I want to see people avoid doing is just trying to not do their worst. That's you trying in your own strength. How about we shoot for God's best? Which means, guess what? We need to pursue this thing in prayer because if you want a supernatural kind of patience, it's got to come from a supernatural kind of God. And we've got to approach that supernatural kind of God through prayer, and that will change us on the inside. Amen? Prayer is not first and foremost, can I tell you this? It's not first and foremost about getting God to do stuff for you. Really, very, very often what prayer is about is changing you. It's about me getting my thoughts in line with the thoughts of Christ. It's about me getting my brain moved over and out of the way and let the mind of Christ come in. It's about him forming and changing me in prayer. I do that as much or if not more to change me than I do to ever try and get God to move on my behalf. It's, it's awesome. Look at what happens in, I'll give you a couple verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll load this thing down. But Psalm 41 40, verse 1, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. So here we have the psalmist who's patiently waiting, but patiently waiting does not mean he's not crying out to God. He's crying out to God, and then he's patiently waiting for his answer. Whew. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything except patience. Oh, wait a minute, that's not in there. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought maybe that's where I came from. I thought maybe it was a verse that went. No, it says instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Man, why would we not take it to him in prayer? We want our patience to be the product of him working in us, not just our ginning up enough strength and enough power to kind of get through this thing and run down the clock. I don't know about you, but I'm not settling for second best. I'm not, I'm not interested in an in a average or mediocre marriage. I'm not a- interested in average or mediocre kids. I'm not interested in any of that. I don't want an average or mediocre life. What I want is God's best, not just for me, but for the people in my circle. And as my circle expands, I want those people to have the best as well. Amen? Amen. Our bottom line this morning is that patience sees beyond the current pain. Brandon used the same exact line last week, and, and I, I, it actually fits for this too. Because there's pain in relationships sometimes. There's pain in what we're doing. But patience allows us to see past it. See past it. See into the, into the hope of the future. To see that, that God can redeem those things we thought were lost. That God can come and make victory where we thought there was defeat. 
that God alone can come and produce in us something that is remarkable and supernatural. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.